This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for September 17, 2023. The title of the message is The Favor of Wisdom. Well, if you would turn in your Bibles with me, we uh, continue in our evening series through the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 27 to 35. Just to give you a little bit of context, um, we looked at uh, the previous section from 21 to 27, and we looked at uh, the confidence, the stability, the assurance that wisdom gives to, to those who trust in him and live by God's wisdom. Uh, we come now then to uh, verse 27. And here we uh, see the next kind of uh, description of, uh, of wisdom. And we're going to be considering the favor that wisdom bestows upon those who, who, um, who love their neighbor as themselves. So here now then, uh, the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on those, is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this evening. In 1901, a seven-year-old Indian girl named Prina escaped a Hindu temple where her mother had abandoned her and quote-unquote uh, so-called gave her as a, as a so-called gift to the Hindu gods. And what that meant was she was left and abandoned at this Hindu temple in order to become a temple prostitute for the rest of her life. It wasn't the first time then that uh, she escaped. She escaped and she returned home to her mother only to be taken back to be abandoned twice by, by, by the only mother she knew, the one who gave birth to her, and the one who was supposed to have loved her. She was beaten and tortured to be an example to the other girls. And so she dreamt over and over again uh, for her mother to come back and rescue her, but it would never happen. She ran away a second time and ran as far as she can. She even crossed the river into a very small town in the middle of the night and in the in the middle of the night there happened to be a church meeting and people were there praising the lord and she entered wondering if this is going to be like a hindu church if they were going to make her be a prostitute or if it would be something different would she find her mother there would her mother keep her this time and the answer, providentially, is yes. Uh, but it wouldn't be the mother that she thought she would find. Uh, the next morning, 
she met for the first time and embraced as her ama, which means mother in Tamil. Uh, she embraced her ama for the first time, but it wasn't her birth mother. It would be a new one, an adopted one, one that would take her in when everyone else rejected her, one that would love her when her earthly mother hated her, one that would introduce her to the one true and living God and give her a heavenly father for the very first time and reveal to her uh, eternal life and a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That mother's name was Amy Carmichael. Uh, this this uh, is, a, is an instance of how wisdom is applied to our loving, to the love of our neighbor. That wisdom isn't just doing the right thing in the right way, but uh, doing it for everyone, treating everyone in such a way that you do the right thing in the right way, uh, no matter how different the circumstances are. So what does it mean to wisely love your neighbor as yourself? That's the question I want us to consider as we go through these verses. That this, this, uh, the favor of wisdom, this is what the writer of Hebrews, uh, Proverbs is teaching us, that, that how the favor of wisdom helps us to love our neighbor in an unfavorable world. And so let's look at uh, what that means. First, wisdom doesn't withhold the good from the needy when we have the power to do it. Good, uh, wisdom doesn't withhold the good from, those, from the needy when we have the power to do it. Look at verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. See, the writer of Proverbs here gives us the social responsibilities that we have to love our neighbor. This is important because wisdom isn't just knowing uh, the right thing to do, but it means doing it, right? Wisdom is the, is the application of the law of God in a wise way. Uh, and, uh, and here we're going to look at the, 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 the love of wisdom, the wisdom, the, the love that is demonstrated in and through wisdom. And it's the wisdom of doing that uh, in which we apply the greatest commandment to love God, uh, to love God with all of our heart, strength, soul, and mind, and doing it as we love our neighbor as ourselves. And that takes a lot of wisdom, doesn't it? If you've ever helped someone in need, you know, one of the most important things is to do it wisely, right? Because sometimes we can try to do the right thing. We have the, the best of intentions, but we are actually hurting them by giving them what they ask for, not what they need. And sometimes giving them what, what we think they need, but it's not what they actually need, we can do more harm than good as well. Uh, I, I think many, many times I've uh, had friends uh, who are, were addicted to something. You know, I had a friend who was addicted to gambling, and he always asked me for, for money. And, and I, you know, I was gullible. You know, he, he said, I need money to pay rent. I was like, okay, so here's a couple hundred dollars. And, um, and then I found out later that he gambled it away. And so sometimes giving money isn't the wisest thing to do. Uh, but withholding what is good and what they need isn't the right way to go either if you, if you can help them. And so uh, there's, there needs to be a lot of wisdom 
in, in loving those who need our love, who need our help. And so what does wisdom towards our neighbor mean? What does it look like? It means not, it means not forsaking them in their need if we're able to help them. Right? Verse 27 again, do not withhold good uh, from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Right? So what is the writer saying? He's saying that when people, when someone needs something, anything uh, that they need and it's good for them and we have the power to give it to them, then it is our duty to do it. It is, it's, it, the, the writer here, the writer of Hebrew, uh, Proverbs is using very precise language to, to whom it is due. That, that's a really interesting way to put, uh, uh, to, to uh, state the philanthropic case, right? If it's in your power to do good, then, then you need to give it to them because it's due to them, as if it's, you're obliged to, as if it's, you must do it because they deserve it. That's weird, isn't it? Why? Why does the writer of Proverbs put it that way? Because this speaks to the, the larger biblical idea of giving people what they are due because they are made in the image of God. They deserve, our dig, they deserve dignity. They deserve uh, help. Right? I mean, in many ways, mercy is not a, is not a, a relationship of, of works. You don't give mercy to somebody because they deserve it. You give mercy to someone because they need it, right? And, and then also the other thing, too, is because those in need and those who are poor, or just anybody for that matter, if they need something, right? I mean, a rich person can need various things, right? They don't always need money or, or some kind of material help. They, may, they might need wisdom. They might need advice. They might need someone to care for them and love them and encourage them. Uh, so... Uh, so, the, so the idea here is that if you're made in the image of God, you are created with an inherent dignity in which God's people and people in general are obliged to help them. Uh, maybe, let me hear, let me put it another way. If God's command in the Ten Commandments is, you shall not kill, it's not enough to simply not kill somebody. The other side of obeying that command is to, to advocate for one's life, to help people live and not keep them from, from uh, living and, and slowly helping them to die. So if somebody is starving and you've got two sandwiches, right, and you're really hungry, but a, a man, uh, someone's starving, and you just walk by because, you know, sorry, I don't have anything to spare, uh, you're withholding what is good that is in the power for you to give. And, uh, and, and, and the force here is because they are made in, in the image of God and because we can give it to them, we must give it to them. I mean, the writer of Proverbs says, to whom it is due. Uh, I'm trying not to... Um, dance around these words, but 
But uh, that's what, what the writer of Proverbs is saying. And that's what we see throughout the Old Testament, that, um, that the poor and the needy, the widow and the orphan, are due the, the, the mercy and the help uh, that uh, God calls us to. And so this speaks to the two kinds of justice that is described in the Bible. This is what theologians call restorative or remunerative justice. Right? Retributive justice as we, is the justice that we normally think of, where it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Right? If, you, if you kill somebody, then you are to be killed. Right? If you steal, then you, are to, you, are to, uh, then you have to pay back. That's retributive justice, a kind of punitive justice for, for uh, an, a wrong done. But restorative justice is when we give people what they deserve and what is due to them uh, when they have been wronged. Herban Bavink, the great 19th century Dutch theologian, says this about God's restorative justice. God's justice is both retributive and reparative. It not only punishes evil doing, but it restores those who are victims of injustice. Yet interestingly, God's remunerative or restorative justice is far more prominent in Scripture than his retributive justice. God stands against perverting the justice due the poor, slaying the innocent and righteous, accepting bribes, oppressing the alien, the widow, and the orphan. God raises them to a position of honor and well-being. Doing justice with an eye to the needy becomes an act also of grace and mercy. And therefore, God's restorative justice is not like his anger, opposed to his steadfast love, but is closely akin and synonymous with it. His justice is simultaneously the manifestation of his grace. And we see this over and over again in Psalm 97, 11, Psalm 112, 3 to 6, Psalm 116, 5, Psalm 118, 15 and 19. And so wisdom applies the restorative justice of God to those who need it and to those whom it is due. And so if we don't do that, we're going against God's command to help the poor and the needy. And when we go, when we go against God's word, it's the very definition of folly. And this is the whole point of verse 28. We either don't do it or we put it off uh, if it's convenient for us, right? We know how this is. Look at verse 28. How many of us have seen someone in need and said, you know what, I'll do it later when it's more convenient for me. Um, Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it, right? When you have it with you. So what we forget is that we're able to help and we don't. And when we do that, we're sinning against them and against the Lord. The only condition that the writer of Proverbs here gives is the condition that if it is in your power to help. See, God isn't commanding you to to give and help in a way that you can't do it. Right? He's not, the Lord is not He's not ripping the money from your hand so you can begrudgingly have to give it to a poor person or someone who needs your help, right? <coughs> if it's in your power to do it, then morally, God is calling you to do it. 
That could be, I mean, there's just a myriad of ways in which that can happen. But we know in our own hearts, in our consciences, what we, what we know we're able to do and whether we do it or we don't. And so when, when, you, when you see somebody in need and they're begging for money or food and you walk right on by when you've got like, you know, some money in your hands and you know that, you know, $5 or a dollar can, can help them buy a, a meal and deep down inside you feel a little guilty for not giving it to them, you don't ignore that, that little guilt. Because this passage is telling us we know deep in our hearts that they're do something because we're able to give it and we don't. Um, and now I'm not saying that, you know, you ought to feel guilty every time because sometimes when you, when you give money, it might be the, the worst thing that you can do for that person. Um, maybe you can help them in kind but not with money so that maybe if they're addicted to drugs or they're, they're alcoholics, they, they can take that money and save it up to buy a bottle of alcohol. But, but maybe you could buy them, well, maybe you can give them a gift card like we do here. Or, or, or you can um, you know, ask them on the way in, hey, what can I get for you? you know, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I'll just get, get it for you on the way out. And then you can do that you know, if, they, if they're asking for money to buy food. Just buy it for them so that you help them in, in what they really need. And it's in your power to do it. And you do it. Wisdom, wisdom looks at that situation and says, what does that person do as, a, as an image bearer of God? And how can I help them? with what I'm able to help them. Uh, but to not think about that at all and just walk right on by, we ought to feel a little guilty. Not even a little guilty, we ought to feel very guilty. Because um, maybe we are not obeying the Lord as we ought. Uh, if, we're, if, we, if we can spend $20 a month on Starbucks, and, and when a friend is in need and asks for 20 bucks to fill up his gas tank so he can go to work, um, and we were like, sorry, we don't have the money. You know, we, we ought to feel guilty. Um, wisdom also means, you know, it doesn't have to be about money. You know, it can be helping someone with a problem or a struggle that's, that, that, that you've gone through and somebody else is going through right at that moment. And maybe you can help them with an encouraging word, with a shoulder to cry on, with some helpful advice pointing them in the right direction for, for resources, or maybe just being there and weeping with them because they've, they, that they're going through such a deep, dark despair and depression that um, that's all you can do because you know what it means to be alone in the darkness and just cry your eyeballs out to, to where you have no more tears and there's someone else going through the exact same thing. If it's in your power to help them, we ought to help them. It doesn't have to be about money. <clears throat> A second way that wisdom teaches us to love our neighbor is not to withhold, not to withhold what is good, right? But also to withhold what is evil. <laughs> There's a turn of phrase here, right? If we shouldn't withhold what is good, then it also means we should withhold what is evil. Uh, but let me put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a more simple way. It means doing what is good for those who need it 
and not doing what is bad. So what does that include? It means forsaking, betraying them. It means not stabbing people in the back uh, to those who, who put their trust in you. Right? Look at what he says there. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see betrayal after betrayal by those who are, are the most rebellious and unrighteous and sinful against God. The, f- the, the folly of these foolish men who, who don't know the Lord, don't follow the Lord. Over and over again, they, they are shown to be how, shown how foolish they are by the way in which they betray those around them. Right? Wisdom, wisdom calls us to be trustworthy while folly calls us to be betrayers of people's trust. And this is what we see, for example, in David's life, right? He was hurt so badly by his most trusted and close advisor, Ahithophel, right? When he betrayed David and took the side of Absalom, who tried to usurp his throne. Uh, the, the, the writer of, uh, of Samuel, 2 Samuel, says of Ahithophel's advice, he says, David heard Ahithophel's advice as if it were the word of God. That's how much David trusted him. And he was betrayed. And he wrote then in Psalm 41, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. You see, the folly of sin is, in essence, betrayal. To betray the trust of those who put their trust in you. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is you will reap what you sow. If you betray others, then why should you be surprised when someone else betrays you? And this is why uh, uh, betrayal is seen as such folly. Because, you know, when you stab somebody in the back, you know, that people, all the people who, who, who you conspired with to betray that one person uh, is waiting for you to turn your back. And this is why, for example, dictators and despots throughout history um, who betrayed their way to the top are so paranoid about those who are around them, right? I mean, think about, think about uh, um, uh, Joseph Stalin. Uh, think of, uh, of Vladimir Lenin. Think, even right now, you think about um, uh, Vladimir Putin. They hear the, the stories in the, in the newspapers is that, that he loves to poison people. And there's so many people who have been close to him have been poisoned to death. And he is paranoid to eat the food that, that people put in front of him. So he has somebody else uh, taste it or whatever. Or, you know, you have kings uh, in, the old, in the Old Testament, cupbearers, right? The most trusted person in the, in the ancient royal courts. They would drink from the cup of the king and then give it to the king. Why? Because if it was poison, the cupbearer would die first. And then the king would be like, oh, I'm not going to drink out of that. And, and that's really what folly is. Folly versus wisdom is to betray the one who you are supposed to trust or the one who trusted you the most. And, um, and so it means that if you, uh, if you also then forsake um, betrayal, then you, you must also forsake false accusations or to not pick a fight with someone who, doesn't, who isn't fighting with you. Look at what he goes on to say. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. 
right? And, and what that means is that if you're going to bully somebody, because that's the definition of a bully, right? If you bully someone, then someday someone's going to bully you. Maybe not now, maybe not today, but someday someone stronger, smarter, more violent than you is going to bring your undoing. And maybe not in this lifetime, uh, maybe not at the end of your life, but ultimately on Judgment Day when Jesus, the judge, uh, will come back and everyone and everything will be, will be judged in righteousness and, and equity, uh, then you will, you will feel the, uh, the justice of what you have done. Lastly, in this uh, short little section here in the second part, uh, we must also forsake violence. Um, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways, right? The heroes we pick says a lot about the kind of person that we are. Do we revere violent men over righteous men? Do we look up to those who exercise brute power to get their way, or do we look to the humble and contrite of spirit? Why? Because those who love the sword end up living by the sword and will then someday die by the sword. You become what you worship. You become what you hope for. Um, this is the point of Psalm 115 and 135, that those who make idols become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Right? For the devious person is, is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. You see, the writer of, uh, the writer is, is, of, of Proverbs is saying here that wisdom may not seem all that rewarding at first. Doing what's right may cost you, but what really matters is how the Lord sees you. This is how we really know that we are living out the realities of God's word and of his gospel. This is how we really know that we're trusting in the Lord and we don't care what other people think and we don't let our circumstances dictate uh, what we should or shouldn't do because we live to please the Lord. We know how God hates evil and loves righteousness. So even if everyone hates me for doing what is right, I can stand secure that God is with me, that I am in his confidence, and that he is my confidence. This is why, for example, Daniel and his friends, right, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could go against the whole of the Babylonian empire, the largest empire in the known world at that time, and they did not bow to the idols that they, should, they were supposed to. And their confidence was in trusting the Lord. And, and if you remember the, the, the monologue that they give before they, were jumped, they walked into the, the fiery pit, it's that even if, right, we will not bow down, but even if the Lord doesn't deliver us, we trust in the Lord. That's the kind of confidence uh, that comes when God is, has your confidence because you are, you are following wisdom to do what is right. This is why Joseph can flee Potiphar's wife and be in prison and not be bitter and trust in the Lord's plan uh, and to trust in the Lord because his confidence was in the Lord. Um, maybe uh, this is a question that I think we all need to consider. Is, um, is to, to do what is right no matter the circumstances because our trust is in the Lord.
everyone else can, you know, they can have their opinions, they can put all their pressure, but the only one who you need, you need to please is the Lord. We don't need to please anyone else. Uh, it makes me think of Martin Luther, too. He, the whole of the Holy Roman Empire came down upon him and, 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 and commanded him to renege on those words that justification is by faith alone, not by works. And he took a day to, to, to he took a whole evening to uh, think about it. And at the end, he's like, I can't do no other. You know, I will not recount, re, re, uh, recant those words. Here I stand, I can do no other. You know, that's a man who's, who, who stands in the Lord's confidence because his confidence is in the Lord. Lastly, and we'll kind of, we're near the end here, wisdom sees the favor of righteousness over the curse of the wicked. The favor of wisdom is really the favor of the Lord on those who not only trust in the Lord, but live by his righteousness. They do it not to earn salvation, but because they already have it. Look at what he says there. The Lord's curse is on the house of the, of the wicked. Not is going to be on the house of the wicked. It is already on it. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous, of the righteous. toward the scorners. He is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit favor, but fools get disgrace. You see, this just reminds us that, that the wisdom that is be, being described here is a general way of life in which God's way is the right way and the best way. It doesn't mean that we're going to earn our salvation. It doesn't mean we're going to earn his blessing and favor. It means that when we do it, it's because we trusted him already, and we already have his blessing. We already have his favor, and therefore, we can do what is right in any given situation. See, there's a subtle but very important distinction there. You do what is right because God, you know God loves you. You know that he's the only one who counts in your heart not what everyone else thinks, and therefore I can do the right thing. I don't do the right thing so that he can love me more. Do you see the subtle difference there? And, um, and what we see here then is that this is the grace of how God blesses wisdom and he curses folly from his perspective. Look at verse 34. This is what grace is all about. Because in the Greek translation of this verse quoted in the New New Testament goes like this. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, this is how God saves us by the wisdom of his grace. He saves us from our folly so we might have his wisdom. He saves us, uh, he shows us the wisdom of his love and not withholding anything good. Or as Paul puts it, right, isn't that this what Jesus does for us in the gospels? Isn't this what God does? He, he, he who did not withhold his one and only son, he who did not withhold the best thing that he could ever give because it was in his power, he did not withhold it, and how will he then not graciously give us all things? Do you see the wisdom of his love poured out for us in Christ? And he also shows, uh, and how can we not do then that for others? And he shows us what it means to be forsaken, betrayed by a brother, and harmed by his own people. See, Jesus applies the words of David's betrayal by Ahithophel, and he applies it to Judas, that he who's dipped his bread with me betrays me. And Judas is the one who betrays Jesus with a kiss. 
You know, hist- uh, theologians have kind of argued and kind of uh, just debated over and over again why it had to be Judas, one of the 12, the inner 12, the most intimate, the closest of his followers, the closest of his friends, why it had to be one of them who betrayed Jesus. Why not one of the Pharisees? Why not one of the lawgivers? Why not one of the high priests? Why couldn't they do something from the outside? And some of the, the best answer that I've heard so far is you see that theme of betrayal of closest friends throughout Scripture. Why? Because that's what sin is. That the one who was supposed to be the closest to us, the one we are supposed to love the most, betrays us. It had to be Judas. Because Adam, the one whom God made from the dust of the ground, formed him and breathed his own breath into him and made him a living being, walked with him, talked with him, had fellowship with him in the garden, who knew him, who Adam was naked before God and was not ashamed before the fall. Adam and Eve both. And when the fall happened, they betrayed God by eating of the forbidden fruit and they ran away. That, that's the, that, that is the, the pain that, be, that, that had to be demonstrated and had to be manifested in Jesus' betrayal because our sin against God is a betrayal of the worst kind. He received the curse of the wicked as he bore our sin in order that we might receive the blessing of righteousness, the favor of wisdom in him, in the gospel. In Christ, we are the wise who inherit his honor because he took the disgrace of our folly. And uh, Amy Carmichael, ultimately, after she received an adopted Prina into her own family, and shared the gospel with her, and she put her faith in Christ, realized that she couldn't stop there. There were thousands, if not thousands, of hundreds of thousands of other young girls being pimped out at Hindu temples to be prostitutes, that she knew she had to rescue them. And so she became... Uh, she started the first Christian orphanages to rescue these temple prostitute girls and to win them for the Lord. And, uh, and, and, and the Lord, her, and the reason was because wisdom demanded that she not withhold what was good, which was in the power, which was in her power to do. And that the Lord st- stood with her in his confidence because he had her confidence. She had her confidence in him. And may that be the same for you and for me as we go out to the world. To, in wisdom, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wisdom that you call us to, to live out as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us, Lord, to, to not uh, pass by uh, those who are in need when it's in the power in our power to help. And Lord, help us to forsake evil and to do what is good. Why? 
because you did that for us in the gospel. Help us to live out that wisdom in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.